not be driven by fear into an age of unreason. Oh my god, guys, listen up. I have an announcement to make. But did you guys know that I'm like the number one Google search last week? It could be the stuff of history, however, one way or the other. Okay, is Jessica Simpson here yet? And to those critics who are so pessimistic about our economy, I say, don't be economic girly man. And you'll never have to pour or measure detergent again. Can we, can we all get along? Terror, horror, death. Film at 11. How many sides does a triangle have? Damn, four. There's no side. One. Last week on Earth. Last week on Earth. Last week on Earth. Last week on Earth. Hello, everybody. Brain Trust, welcome to Last Week on Earth. I'm your host, Ben Glebe. If you are new to the podcast, it is called Last Week on Earth because we cover everything that happens during the last week on Earth. Happened, rather, in the past. News, politics, pop culture, trends, weirdness that never seems to cease on this banana planet. And this will be an even more special episode, for a reason I will explain in a moment. But what we've always tried to do with the podcast, what I've tried to do over the years since 2011 when we started, is to make news and politics accessible to everybody. Because I feel like the news was often talking over my head, talking over your head, trying to keep it an exclusive club. And I like busting down exclusive clubs. That's something that I enjoy, is making the world accessible to anybody who wants to be part of it. So the podcast will hopefully do that. It hopefully has done that. It'll also make news politics, pop culture, all the all the things, funny. Hopefully funny. I don't want to set too high of a bar. No, I'm not promising, you know. This is a free podcast. Slow down with your demands. We've only just begun. Eight years in. Nine years now? Wow. Past guests, if you, again, haven't listened before, or just want a refresher, have included people like five-star generals, supermodels, political strategists, cab drivers, Celebrities like Aisha Tyler, Brian Cranston, Bob Odenkirk, Sophia Bush, Richard Schiff, John Fugelsang. Of course, tons of my fellow comedians, Chris Porter, Chris D'Elia, non-Chris's such as Nikki Glaser, Eliza Schlesinger, Brody Stevens, rest in peace. Dot, Dot Glass, not him, but Todd Glass, you bet. New host of The Soup, Jade Cotapretta, Adam Ray, Adam Devine, non-Adams like Paul Provenza, Jeff Ross. Greg Proops, Neil Brennan, Bobby Lee, Doug Stanhope, and more non-comedians like NATO allied Supreme Commander Doug Stanhope. Nope, Wesley Clark. He wishes Stanhope never got a military ranking. Wesley Clark did, though. My ex-girlfriends have been on. My parents are a podcast favorite. The founder of WordPress, Matt Mullenweg. George Carlin's only offspring, Kelly Carlin. Point is, we mix it up quite a bit here on the pod. And the brain trust is you listening. And I've always called all of us together collectively the brain trust because we're just people trying to put our heads together in a better way, in a smarter way to try to figure out this crazy world. And so we want to discuss some intelligent things. Not that we are so intelligent, but that we're at least trying to bang our brains together in a collective and we trust each other to have that conversation and to admit mistakes and to always be able to 
tackle issues from an objective point of view, to be open to changing our minds, but more important than anything, just follow common sense to the truth. Seems like a noble goal, one I've been pursuing for a long time, and I hope you join me. Um, reading The Week magazine this week, and some stories reflecting on the whole decade, I decided to not just do the last week on Earth this week, or just the year in review episode like I usually do at the end of the year, but a review of the last 10 years, the whole decade, will be reviewed in this episode. It sounds like a lot, sure, but nothing compared to the episode I did back on the eve of the Mayan apocalypse in 2012, where I summarized all of human civilization. Episode available wherever you get your podcasts. So this one's a piece of cake compared to that. So the episode will go like this today, since it's a unique one. First, it will be one story from the recent news in the political world. Then, the whole damn decade, summarized. From geopolitical to Drake, mumble rap, and Taylor Swift. Then I will tell you some stories and takeaways from my seven-month campaign for President of the United States. I'll read to you from the original much longer draft of my concession speech that you might have seen on YouTube or IG or Facebook. I'll even explain while I'm reading it why I made some of the cuts that I did. And you'll hear some funny stories from the campaign and some very moving stories, I think. And then the part of the podcast where you get to answer a question each week, Twitter answers, which I asked on my Twitter, as I always do. And then we end with the thunder round of weird-ass stories to leave you off balance and confused. I also tend to kind of shout the headlines of each next news story, so beware. Before we dive into all of that, I just have to say up top, even though, again, we'll get to the, pod, to the part of the pod about the campaign later. Just a quick word of thanks to all of you who supported my campaign. I'm touched beyond belief. It was the experience of a lifetime I'll never fully be able to, I don't think, contextualize it or process all of it. But it was incredible and amazing. And those of you that followed along, that supported, that tweeted, that donated, I'm forever grateful. More on that later. But first, massive spending bill averts government shutdown. $1.4 trillion spending bill came in last minute, just the other week. Last week, to avert a shutdown. A couple of weeks ago, I think, actually. But this bill doesn't even include Social Security, Medicare, Medicaid, or paying down our debt. What it does include, that Democrats had to agree to, to avoid the government shutting down, funding, of course, for the border wall, $1.375 billion. And wait for it, the Space Force, for $13 billion. A Space Force in outer space. A new branch of the military in outer space. It would literally be more cost-effective to launch an entire border wall into space. Plus, it would keep them damn aliens out. You know what I'm saying? And, of course, there were $35 billion in special interest tax breaks. How is this still a thing? The budget raised the discretionary spending, the amount that Congress gets to decide where it goes and why it goes, by $50 billion from last year. Oh, is that all? resulting in a second year in a row 
of over $1 trillion of deficit in one year. So Republicans, here's a fun fact. You can never again say that you're the party of fiscal responsibility, okay? You can, however, say you're the party of funding walls that will do zero to curb undocumented immigration and paying for a super cool space force. Pew, 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 pew. Warp speed. I need it now. Let's get it quick. Let's waste all of our government appropriations. While our country has millions living in poverty and hundreds of thousands who are homeless. How great for you Republicans in Congress. Congrats, boo. You got your Space Force and your wall funding. And no, we cannot sign the homeless up for the Space Force. How would they even get paid? There's no change up there. The priorities of the Republican Party never cease to amaze me. My my amazement should be ceased by now. But it's not. What did the Democrats fight for in the bill? Maybe give you a glimpse, a glimpse and a glimpse as well at the same time of the difference in priorities of the two parties in power. $10 million to inspect the detention facilities and address complaints there. You know, on account of us separating children there and uh, some of them dying under our custody and separating kids from their families and putting people in inhumane conditions. $25 million in funding for gun violence research. The first time it's even been allowed to study the causes of gun violence by the, by the federal government in 20 years. So at least now we're going to be funding it a little bit to find out how we can curb it best. $425 million to upgrade election security systems that Mitch McConnell fought tooth and nail to avoid paying for. Why? Because he's Moscow, Mitch. Because he's Moscow, Mitch. And he only cares about what... Trump cares about, and they're both caring mostly about Russian shit. Lost the voice there at the end. Whenever I sing about disloyal traitors, my voice cracks. Black don't crack, but my voice do when it gets to speaking about disloyalty to our nation. It also included a $208 million boost in Environmental Protection Agency funding that Trump's been trying to slash, slash all the way down to close to zero probs. And paid parental leave. Paid parental leave for 2.1 million federal workers. Can you imagine how how these negotiations must have went? The Democrats are like, we'd really like to be able to make sure we inspect our facilities in the border so children get treated well and figure out how to reduce gun violence and how to make sure our elections are secure and protect our environment and make sure parents can have a little bit of a respite from the difficulty of giving birth to a child and trying to adjust to that new life with a little bit of time off work. And the Republicans are like, we hear you, but could we get spaceships or we could fight aliens in outer space and also a wall that could be easily climbed over? That's our demands. This is the conversation. I had to go back and forth. To and fro. You know what I'm saying? Oh, and guess what bipartisan thing? Both parties were in favor of it. That also did not make the bill. A very simple bill to ban surprise medical bills. Just so hospitals have to be upfront about the costs of their care with their patients. Both parties supported it. Somehow even the White House supported it. 
didn't pass. But they did repeal three taxes on the healthcare industry that were meant to pay for Obamacare. Do you see now how bonkers, bananas, the stranglehold of special interest lobbying money is on our politics? Do you see now why we have to end it? And do you see why in my campaign I was not a proponent of Medicare for All? Just because it will not pass. We're not ready for it. We can't even pass not surprising people with their bills. It is laughable if it weren't so non-laughable and yet still laughable. Because to quote Jimmy Buffett, something I often do not do, if we could not laugh, we would all go insane. And to quote the congressional theme song by Cypress Hill, insane in the membrane, insane in the brain. I'm insane. I got no brain. They should play that when Congress gavels into session. But enough more recent news. How about a look back at the decade? How does that sound? Little chickpeas? I'll never call you that again. I'm sorry I did. You want to take a look back at the last 10 years in about 10 or 15 minutes? All right, let's do that shit. The Decade in Review. I read an interesting article by Noah Millman in the week called Humanity's Decade of Disillusionment and Decline. Cheery title, which shed some light on how far we've moved. Not always forward. During these 10 years, we started with Obama and hope and change, but didn't quite get the change we hoped we'd get. Then there was the Tea Party, Democrats losing the House, governorships, state legislatures around the country, and much more gridlock in Washington. Then came along Trump, 400 million scandals, and only the third president in history to be impeached, and the first to look like a peach. A rotten, corrupt, racist peach. The first iPad came out back in 2010. You'd think it's been around longer. And now, at the end of the decade, we have huge iPad-sized phones that do not fit in our pockets anymore, but do cost $1,000 and have 45 cameras. Right-wing populist and nationalist parties got stronger in France and Germany. They started sharing power in Italy and took over completely in Hungary and Poland. Oh, and here in America, basically. The ice, the ice, ice, my, the ice of my, vo- my voice broke. And during then I say IS, like ISH sounds. The isolationism represented by Trump lookalike Boris Johnson coming to power in Britain on what have should have been, on what should have been the slogan, make Britain great Britain again. This turn to nativism caused by a combo of China fully integrating into the global trade system, which messed up manufacturing businesses around the West, where we already were losing jobs to globalization and automation, a.k.a. shit being made everywhere else for cheaper. And the shit still being made here in America, being made by robots. Because robots don't need a living wage. Robots aren't alive. Or are we made worse here than even that by a Wall Street friendly and regular person cold AF vibe to foreclosures in the aftermath of the financial crisis. Totally took care of the banks that foreclosed on people, bailed them out, did not bail out the mortgage holders. In the years after that financial crisis in 2008, 
in the early part of this decade. It only hurt regular people in the end, of course, but not big business. A financial tightening of the belt causing Western countries to have less money in taxes. Austerity made them just tighten their belts. So their countries, the people in the country subsequently did as well. The businesses did, collected less taxes, led to higher unemployment and immigrants coming from everywhere. And people on the right not being cool with people who don't look like them. One of the benefits of a podcast, by the way, you don't know what I look like. I might be one of the people you don't like looking at. And ooh, if you don't know what I look like, I'm I'm sorry. You're going to have to take that gamble. And if you do know what I look like, well, I really apologize. I've been trying to rub my face into a better shape recently. Try to like pull it down, give myself just a non-surgical hand facelift. It's not working. Rebecca Black's Friday was all the rage during this wonderful decade on Earth. It was a terrible song written by a 13-year-old where she goes, Friday, Friday, I love going on Fridays. People couldn't get enough of it. 68 billion views or something like that. I don't get it personally. I did listen to it. Thought it was catchy. But there's a lot of diseases that are catchy too, you know? One positive this decade, America's birth rate declined. Anytime you tell me there will be less kids running around, I am game. Marriage also declined. Someone tell that to my girlfriend, please. Life is not accurately reflected by shows on TLC. Okay, babe. When in the 2000s, technology gave us hope. In the decade before this last one. Everyone had all the knowledge of the world in their hands with these phones emerging. You didn't have to look people in the eye anymore, which was nice. Revolutions were being organized in the Middle East via Twitter and Facebook. But then the 2010s came. Technology got pissed. Started turning on us. Everyone in their own little self-satisfying bubble. Different information being received as fake news. There's no anymore info that just actually makes you think maybe my position's incorrect. It's just incorrect. It's fake. It's bullshit if you hear it. If it bursts your worldview. And everybody hating on anyone with a slightly different worldview than them because of that. Hating on them. Bifurcating and cracking ourselves up into tiny little pieces. Or even people on our own same side of the political spectrum. We hate most of them. Because there's one thing they disagree with us on. Plus smartphones led to people having less sex. Which is a shame. I mean that leaves more for me. But still. And then instead of helping revolutions, it actually started giving places like China the ability to track, facially identify, and crack down on dissent. So that ain't ideal. In positive news, the Harlem Shake was very popular. That's not, not a great impression of the Harlem Shake. But you remember that viral video craze? People would dance alone, and then with people going bonkers, predicting the decade to come. Democracy was weakened here at home and worldwide, making, by the way, Take Our Democracy Back a pretty good campaign slogan, if you ask me. Bitter former candidate, party of one. And rising authoritarian and nationalist politics in places like Russia, Turkey, India, Brazil, Wakanda, all taking shape. Kidding about Wakanda, that's a fictional country from the movie Black Panther. 
that didn't stop the Trump administration, no joke here, from removing it from a list of U.S. free trade partners where apparently it had put it on the list for some time. The Trump administration had Wakanda, a fictional country, on a list of free trade partners of the United States. That's an actual fact. In a non-actual fact, Melania reportedly now has shoulder troubles because every night she runs full force into the back of her closet trying to escape to Narnia, another fictional place. Planking was very popular. People would pretend they were planks of wood and just stay stiff as a board. Some people tried to stay that way the entire decade to ignore all of the strange news on the planet, but it was ineffective. You eventually have to eat. Or do you? More on that in our thunder round later. We left Libya in a state of order comparable to a Black Friday sale at a store with a $10 TV. Friday, Friday. We messed up Libya is the point. Egypt reverted to a dictatorship, pro-American at least, while in Syria, Bastard al-Assad, I'm sorry, I meant Bashar al-Assad, won his civil war to retain power in an insanely brutal, brutal conflict that lasted since 2011 when this podcast began. Pushed over the edge in the last minute by the orange monster here at home, abandoning our allies, the Kurds in Syria, who were holding ISIS fighters in jails there, who are now free to become artists and painters. I mean, go right back to terrorism. And Russia coming in and taking over our bases there because Tupay Fiasco, a.k.a. the President of the United States, wanted to give his BFF Putin a fun new place to crash. We did have the mannequin challenge, though, this decade. That was fun. People froze, acting like they were mannequins for online videos. Weird how a lot of our trends this last decade were just... Freezing in place, in different forms, us wanting to freeze time, perhaps, unsuccessfully, because our new decade is now beginning. We've only just begun. I sing a lot on this podcast. I don't know if it's a positive or negative, but it just is so. We became tighter with our boy Saudi Arabia, who likes to kill our journalists and basically commit genocide against the people of Yemen. But at least they finally decided to let women drive. So that's nice. Even though they still need permission of a male relative to make basic decisions. Yay? Pokemon Go. Big craze for about five minutes in this decade. An augmented reality game where you could be outside while staring at your phone. People became so addicted to their phones they wouldn't go outside unless... Pokemon told them to go outside looking for other Pokemon. And you'd see little characters that you could track on your phone and like capture them or shoot them or some shit. Anything to avoid talking to humans. That went away. We went back inside to stare at our phones where it's warmer with less wind. Trump tore up Obama's main foreign policy accomplishment in the Middle East, the Iran deal which was at least keeping them from moving toward nuclear weapons and was the best deal we could get at the time. And now they are accelerating their nuclear program again, and tensions with us are raised up. Raise up. We are blessed. We are blessed. Prayer hands. Gangnam style was very, very big globally. This funny man with a horse dance created a song that people couldn't get enough of. And we listened to it constantly 
until people wanted to tear their ears off with a spoon. And it's very difficult to remove your ears with a spoon. A lot of people try knives, but they think it's kind of culturally appropriating Van Gogh's family. So they go spooning it out, and it just takes too long, and they give up. They've basically just bent their ears in a strange shape for a while. And what does that accomplish? Not much. It was revealed that for our almost 20-year-long war in Afghanistan, our leadership thought we were losing the whole time, but pretended we were not. How cool is that? What good actors. We ages ago lost sight of any strategic or moral goals, yet we kept fighting the war anyway. But we don't have money to help so many pressing problems here at home that it doesn't make any damn sense. How cool. Also, super fun fact, Trump, our president, spent one in five days of 2019 on a golf course, despite criticizing Obama for playing golf far less than that. Seems appropriate, though, for Trump to be on a golf course that much. I say let him be on golf courses full-time. He can do less damage from there. I mean, it's not good for the grass under him, but small sacrifice, don't you think? I do. The stock market did great, though. Stocks in the S&P 500 climbed 249% in the past 10 years. Pretty damn good. And without any major dips or bear markets, it was all bull market all the time. All bull, no bear. Cited as the main reason people still support Putin's side chick as president. And are, I guess, cool with all the hate, racism, incompetence, disloyalty, and, no exaggeration, over 15,000 lies since taking office. People want a good stock market. Even people who you often say to them, do you own stocks? No, I do not, but it's still good, right? Oh, okay. You don't own the benefit of what you're supporting the guy for. Yet he's a monster, and you're cool with it? I, I get it. Money's everything. On the flip, what will you even spend your money on if the planet floods? Pool toys? How many pool toys can you get? Just get a good inflatable, inflatable boat. I got an inflatable boat, 80 bucks. Made by Intex, 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 that boat float filling up company, pool toy filling up company. It's got a canopy, protect me from the sun. It would take a couple bangs, hit anything sharp, it would pop. It's not as good as like a full-on boat, you know what I'm saying? We're not only not doing much to tackle climate change as we brought to a close the hottest decade on record, but emissions keep going up. I'm on the way up. Thanks to places like China, India, and us here in the U.S. giving up any leadership on it at all. And being the only country to withdraw from the Paris Climate Accords. The whole planet agrees. And we're like, nah, we out. It's so bad, we needed a four-year-old girl, Greta Thunberg, to yell at us about it. She's turning five in the next couple years. You've stolen my childhood, you're only five. We've stolen maybe your first five years. But she motivated a lot of people, motivated the president, actually, to talk shit to her on Twitter. So to sum it up, this decade has been bonkers, bonkers as fuck. But the good news is that at least means it could be easier to go up from there. Could be. We shall see. Also, Facebook ruined everything. Can we get fidget spinners back? Seems like those would be nice to distract us again. But listen, 
it was not all difficult things. It was not all bad things. There were good things this last decade, too. 33 Chilean miners were freed after being stuck underground for 69 days. Of course, when they saw what was going on in the world, 26 of them climbed right back down. The Arabian oryx, an antelope-type creature, was brought back from extinction. Of course, when the oryx saw what was going on in the Middle East, they decided to go extinct again. That's a joke. They didn't go extinct again. They're still around. Just witness all of this glory. The Curiosity rover landed on Mars. Unfortunately, Trump was not on it. Red Planet remains sans orange monster. Physicists discovered the God particle. Haven't done anything with it yet, but cool. You know, whatever that's going to do. They thought that maybe if it if it hits itself in the Large Hadron Collider, that it might uh, recreate the Big Bang and ruin the planet. But they're still trying to recreate it anyway and do it and bang them together and just roll the dice. Roll them bones on that puppy. Okay. Roll them bones. Weird move, but sure. Scientists also revealed the first photo ever taken of a black hole. Trump immediately tweeted calling the black hole low IQ and a son of a bitch. Two pandas were born in captivity in the U.S. Doesn't seem like a huge enough amount to matter at all, but it was a story people cared about. People poured ice buckets on their heads, which cured ALS. Okay, I'm being told it did not cure ALS at all. But it did triple triple the ALS Association budget and led to the discovery of five new genes which will be used to develop new therapies. That's actually super cool overall. Same-sex marriage became legal nationwide. Wonderful news. Especially because love is best expressed by two people getting married, according to my girlfriend. I get it, babe. I'm kidding. She does not pressure me at all. It's just all of her relatives and friends. It's fine. We flew by Pluto for the first time. I don't care. Michael Phelps did even more gold medal stuff. And Simone Biles did a jump where everybody was like, wow. And a giraffe gave birth on the internet for some reason. Doesn't seem like the natural way they're supposed to give birth, but why not? We had the most diverse class of lawmakers ever sworn into Congress, marking the most racially and ethnically diverse in history. This has been a trend. Each of the previous four Congresses broke the record set by the Congress before it. More than one in five voting members now are racial or ethnic minorities, keeping Donald Trump up at night. India planted 220 million trees in one day in hopes of helping absorb carbon dioxide from the atmosphere. Hours later, they were knocked down by Trump in a bulldozer. House of Cards was one of the first binge-watch shows in history. Only Netflix's second ever original series and ended up years later being very true to life. If only Frank Underwood were a total idiot. J-Lo busted out her iconic green Versace dress almost two decades after she first wore it. People were all abuzz. Yet when I wore it one decade later, no one cared. Jaden Smith cut off his famous dreadlocks then carried them as an accessory at the Met Gala, which was really considerate of him. Because a lot of people cut their hair out of their lives and then just leave it behind, right there on the floor. But no, not Jaden. He keeps his hair in his hand, right where it is meant to be. Or rather, not where it's supposed to be, and it's weird. 
Never forget, this last decade, Miley Cyrus twerked all over Robin Thicke, making him Robin Thicker. And then she stuck her tongue out for a few years in a row. Never forget, or history might repeat itself. Twerking in general has been huge this decade. Turning around and shaking your butt. A sort of commentary to a backwards ten years. I am being told no, it's just a thing people do. No political commentary intended. But... I beg to disagree. You gotta twerk, bitch. Meghan Markle made every girl's fantasy come true, becoming a princess who hates her life, apparently. Angelina Jolie posed her leg out of her dress awkwardly at the Oscars, if you remember that. And you gotta thank her for it. Because she didn't have to do it, and she did it for us. And she adopted 55 children on the way home from the Oscars. Skipping the Vanity Fair party. There was a viral dress that was either white and gold or blue and black. An homage of sorts to the fact that there are no even observable facts anymore on this planet. Lady Gaga wore a dress made of meat, and later that night served pieces of her outfit at a Mexican taco truck outside. Meat dresses, tastier with salsa. The Women's March happened. Over five million people across the globe, many of them in pussy hats. On the first day of Trump's fake presidency, hashtag fake president. And guess what? Men were allowed to attend too. I was there. It was one of the most amazing things I ever saw. Honestly, seeing hundreds of thousands of people just in the one here in LA, in downtown LA, as far as I could see, people on every block around every corner protesting and fighting for what is right and fighting for our democracy. It was amazing. Obama, however, did in a bit of messed up news from this decade, he did wear a tan suit to a press conference once. It was a big national news story. And with the benefit of hindsight, I think we can all agree, is unacceptable behavior for a president. And how would we have gotten through any of it without Drake memes? Impossible, I say. Impossible without a close-cropped beard and bad sweater. At least that's what I'll tell my grandchildren, Lil Drake and Lil Lizzo. The Me Too and Time's Up movements happened and exposed lots of entitled assholes for being what they are. And a positive step for women's equality around the globe. As I've said on stage before, how... Why did it even take so long for this to happen how did guys get away with some of this behavior for so long take slut shaming for example how have guys gotten away with calling women sluts for thousands of years when we are the real sluts guys are by far bigger sluts than girls are how many times you heard a guy say stuff like yo bro i just banged four girls last week (laughs) sluts what you banged four people in a week you're the slut They probably each just banged you and are waiting by the phone now. They're emotionally involved. Give them a call. You can also, by the way, listen to a past episode of this podcast with Hillary Rosen, political commentator and co-founder of the Time's Up Legal Defense Fund. We dive deep on the issues here on the podcast. It's not always just me solo. Sometimes, sure. And sometimes not. We got some great guests I'm lining up for 2020. Don't you make no mistake about it. Mumble rap came along and unfortunately pushed me out of the rap game. My enunciation's just too good. 
But this old thug from the past was happy to make way for artists like Future and Young Thug. Emojis became the way people talk. We used to use words. Now we use little pictures, little tiny cartoon pictures. My favorite emojis of the decade have to be... And... Oh, and also... You know what I'm saying? Yet somehow it wasn't until years later that Apple included racially diverse emojis on their phones. In their defense, the people at Apple didn't realize there were other races until 2015. Breaking Bad was a huge series that came and went during this last decade. I only mention that to remind you that you can listen to the Brian Cranston, a.k.a. Walter White episode of our podcast, or the Bob Odenkirk one, a.k.a. Saul Goodman. Game of Thrones happened. Don't tell me spoilers, I'm still on season three. Should I still watch it? Please tell me on Twitter, at Ben Glebe. Also, I've never seen The Wire, or The West Wing, or Mad Men, I'm still on season one of that one, or This Is Us. Which are most urgent to watch? Should I skip all of them? What's the move? Tell me on the Twitter. And of course, Taylor Swift, ongoing, on-again, off-again feud with Kanye West. He interrupted her, and then they had a beef for a long time, and they squashed the beef, but then he wrote a lyric that said he made that bitch famous. Then she complained about how that was demeaning to her as a woman. But then Kim, Kimmy K, released a video where it seemed like she was kind of okay with that lyric. She kind of signed off on that lyric, thought it was a compliment. But then really, I pointed out in this podcast years ago that that was kind of BS too because Kanye in the clip only runs half the lyric by her where he says, I think me and Taylor might still have sex. That's the part she approved, not the back part with I made that bitch famous, which seems like the more demeaning part, although both not particularly complimentary. Because who wants to have sex with Kanye other than Donald Trump? And that would be something I, I don't want to see or even think about, and I regret making you think about it. I'm sorry that I said it. Taylor Swift constantly having drama, airing her dirty laundry out in the public. I'm not allowed to play my songs on an award show. Oh, I am? Well, I'm glad I complained to the world. Kanye West ranting like a lunatic in the White House. Trump saying, you should be president, and he probably would be better, even though he's certainly bonkers and would be horrible. So, how's that for a wrap-up of the decade? All in all, not so bad. I mean, shitty. But could be shittier? Could have been shittier? So, this next one. These next ten years. Let's do it better. Okay? It's the end of the world as we know it. It's the end of the world as we know it. It's the end of the world. So now I would like to um, read to you guys from the original 30-minute draft that I wrote of my concession speech in my campaign for president. Um, You might have seen the 13-minute final version that I released on my social media, YouTube and Instagram and Facebook, and if you haven't, seen it might even be a good time to pause and watch it just if you're curious to see how the speech evolved from being a 30 minute much more detailed speech to what it ended up being and what i cut it down to or watch it after the podcast and see 
how it flows better after I read you the longer version. If you're curious about that kind of behind-the-scenes look at what goes into writing a political speech and a concession speech at that. Not the speech you want to write ever, but um, here is the longer version of it. Not all of it, but most of it. And I'll pause at certain points and tell you some of my thoughts off script as well. But um, it began like this. My friends, I'm here today to tell you that, unfortunately, it does not look like my campaign has much of a path forward anymore. We considered ending it a bit earlier, but then another billionaire entered the race out of nowhere after the first billionaire did. Blanketed the airwaves with the biggest TV political ad buy in history and literally bought a spot in the race. And that's part of what this campaign was fighting. The total power of money in our politics. He isn't even trying to qualify for the debates, Bloomberg. He's skipping them. Yet his money gets him for some reason instantly put in the polls. And so it didn't seem right to drop out then because I believe, as do you, I know, that all voices should be heard and considered equally. And that our politics should not be for sale. And we need a voice representing working people. People like you, people like me. So that made us decide to keep fighting even when our money was incredibly low. And the mainstream media continued to black us out and didn't even have the desire for fairness to put us in those polls, making it impossible to qualify for the debates. Because we kept hoping for a breakthrough moment, and unfortunately it did never come. Unfortunately it never came. Rather. But you can't win every fight. On TV, all you see now is ads back and forth between those two billionaires, Steyer and Bloomberg. And we just didn't have any viable options left. Kamala Harris had to drop out because she didn't have enough millions. I realized that at that point, at this point, I can be more effective going back to my life as a comedian and activist. And so I suspended my campaign for president of the United States. This has been the journey of a lifetime. The fact that so many of you believe in me, said you've been waiting for a candidate like me, and that I have your vote for president means the world. I cannot explain that feeling. It's an incredible honor. But that doesn't capture it well enough. That so many of you told me that this campaign inspired you, made you have hope for our politics again, and in many cases told me this was the first time you ever donated to a political campaign in your life. Well, I will never forget that for as long as I'm alive. To the people who emailed to volunteer for our campaign, sharing with me your stories of loss and your personal struggles, I am so touched that you trusted me enough to share a bit of your life. To the thousands of you in every state in the Union who donated your hard-earned money, all I can say is thank you. I hope I did you proud. I started this campaign with as big an amount of my own money as I could afford. But being the working man candidate, it wasn't much. I took that out of the speech. It just seemed a little bit unnecessary and lengthy. And then you all took over and gave us life and made this campaign possible. I hope you already know, because we tried hard to keep you in the loop on social media, but I worked as hard as I could, as did our whole staff and team, both paid and volunteer. This next part I cut out because it just seemed extraneous, but it's interesting maybe on a podcast. I'm a person with lots of energy, but this pushed me to my limits. Sleep deprived, on the campaign trail nonstop, barely ever home, campaigning day and night, while also squeezing some comedy shows in so I could earn some money, 
But even when doing a road show, holding campaign events during the day, and then talking with anyone who wanted to, as long as they wanted to, when the shows were done. But I was so happy to do it all because we were on a mission, and because I took your faith in me as my oath to you, to do all we could to break through and make this campaign count. That last line I like a lot because I take it so seriously. I really did take it as an oath to you, just the faith people placed in me, to not let anybody down and to do all that I could and to make sure the team did all we could and try to manage the team as best I could, never having done it before. Um, But I took it out because it just seemed you know, superfluous to talk about how sleep-deprived I was and Speech couldn't be super long. People like their videos short and their podcasts longer. Every day there were huge mountains to climb, and I regret I wasn't able to tackle more of them more effectively or message more of you back personally. I had never run a campaign before, and we had just a tiny fraction of the money the top-tier campaigns had. It made it very hard to compete. But I'm proud to say we stretched that money further than you would think we could. We outlasted campaigns with millions of dollars backed by very powerful political machines. I mean, I literally slept on the floor, as did our team of my friend's house in Des Moines, Iowa, to try to save us money, for days on end. This campaign was 100% grassroots, powered by you. I'm proud to say we did not hold one single formal fundraiser event where we charged admission, not once. All of our events were open to the public. Turns out that's not the best way to raise money. Yet we climbed to at one point being the 29th highest fundraising Democratic campaign. Then because we lasted so long, we are now ending as the 15th highest fundraising active Democratic campaign. The difference though between 15 and the top tier ones above us is mind-boggling. Our politics is completely controlled by money. And if you don't have it, you can't get very far. I took that last line out because I think we got pretty far. I didn't want to talk the campaign down in that way. But it is true also. We, it's true. Both are true. We've got very far from coming from nowhere and not having a lot of money. But we didn't get as far as we needed to, largely because of money. Also, I will own the fact that I started the campaign too late, and that's totally on me. and something I'll regret forever. If I had started, I think, just four or five months earlier, I think we would have qualified for that first debate. But people started narrowing down who they even took seriously as a candidate faster than we wanted them to, and it was an uphill battle from a lot earlier than we hoped. The speech goes on. Most of you won't even see this speech. Even if you are following me, it won't show up in your algorithm because big tech has decided for us which of our friends we get to hear from. Whichever way makes them the most money, I guess, which is one reason they must be regulated. Too many forces are controlling the free flow of information. When the free flow of information is controlled, societies cannot be free. Thank you so much to the local TV, radio, and newspapers, few national TV shows, online outlets, and countless podcasts that gave us a voice. You helped amplify a different message that for some reason many were not open to. A quick side note there to you guys listening to my favorite podcast appearances. One was with Doug Stanhope, but you heard the audio on this podcast. One was with Alyssa Milano on her podcast, Sorry Not Sorry. I recommend you listen to that. 
And one was also a funnier one, but very interesting too, I think, was with Adam Ray and Brad Williams on About Last Night. And I also really enjoyed my second appearance, the one during the campaign on That's So Retrograde, talking about sort of the more holistic angle of some of these issues and how it affects our minds and the and just the vibe of the planet and why these issues are so important to tackle, as a side note. But back to the speech. A word, however, to the major news networks, late-night talk shows, and huge-reach podcasts that would not have me on. I caution you moving forward to not be so close-minded, and not only be heat-seekers, for that is at the detriment of the country. You have a powerful platform, and you should more often use it to discover new voices, not just to lazily regurgitate who everyone has already heard from. Nearly everyone with real influence is a heat-seeker these days, only willing to book those who will already get your ratings, those already anointed. I urge you to use your platform for more, to do better. Everyone can give those people a voice, but you are popular because you are different and unique, so be open to different voices. It's not cool to exclude people who aren't already at the cool kids' table. That's grade school shit, and it's actually very lame. I decided to shorten that section way down, take out the word shit, didn't want to swear in my concession speech, and it seemed just a little bit too bitter, but I'm pretty pissed at those things, you know. I can tell all of you listening in the Brain Trust that it was very disappointing, the lack of support from the comedy community overall. Like I said, there were a lot of comedy podcasts that had me on, but the really big ones with the really big reach didn't. Marin and Rogan and others like that, and none of the late-night comedy talk shows. Myers and Fallon and Bill Maher and Colbert. I made even individual videos for each of them saying why we have a viable chance and how a comedian was just elected in the Ukraine and not even a response from them. One said that they were listening or they were watching and they would get back to us and they never did. I think that was Colbert. Frustrating. You know, I knew that the comedy community is sort of self-hating and we don't look at ourselves so seriously sometimes. But when one of your own is putting their life on pause and putting it all on the line to try to help the country, at least hear them out. Anyway, back to the speech. And to the haters and trolls, congrats, you made the speech. Would your mother be proud that you are referred to as a troll? I guess you can get cell service under bridges. I simply say to you, find something productive to do with your life. Because right now your existence is incredibly sad. And you can maybe do something less sad one day. I cut that section down to just one line because it just seemed kind of too mean. But I ended up saying to get a life anyway, so I guess that's pretty mean too. But I also thought the troll joke was a little basic. This Bob Marley quote resonated with me a lot during this campaign. The problem is people are being hated when they are real and being loved when they are fake. Let's try and flip that if we can. Let's start valuing the right things. But in the face of it all, 
and never getting booked by any outlet that could significantly change our exposure level. Something you really need to resonate these days. Still, we fought every day like we were in that top tier. And it almost worked, too. I visited Iowa and New Hampshire so much that I'm now even more white than when I started. I cut that joke for certain obvious reasons. Didn't feel like a race joke was necessary in the speech either. On the podcast, sure, why not? I then revised it in a subsequent draft of the speech. I worked for like four days on on the speech. I revised it to, I visited Iowa and New Hampshire so much that my Amazon packages now default to my friend's place in Des Moines, which is a true fact, but I just cut it entirely. In the seven months of this campaign, we got to a place where I was invited to speak at many events alongside the major candidates. The press didn't cover it, but it was still amazing to be able to talk directly with voters of these events in the early states and make a case for a new kind of politics and a different kind of leader. To make the case for a sweeping anti-corruption act that gets the money once and for all out of our politics and the importance of taking strategy into account in how we take on the disloyal orange monster in the most important election of our lives. But before I go, some take. We campaigned all over the country, in countless cities, 12 states, for seven months, sometimes six events in a day. But I also wanted to run a different kind of campaign. One that really dives in and listens, cares about every single voice, and gave voice to issues and ideas rarely discussed. I met with people working on tackling the refugee crisis at its core, addressing problems in the countries that the refugees come from so they don't end up even having to immigrate here. Some working on racial justice and solutions for better education, teaching financial literacy, understanding of people's struggles, and building up communities. And I got to help my favorite charity, the Harold Robinson Foundation, raise another $800,000 to send underserved youth to sleepaway camp for the first time in their lives, changing their view of what's possible in life. It's an incredible organization, by the way, for all of you listening. Check out HaroldRobinsonFoundation.com or .org. It might be both, one of the two for sure. Or PedalOnThePier.com and see if you want to support or visit them at camp or volunteer at their camp. It's really, truly an amazing camp, Ubuntu. I'm on the advisory board, and um, they are pretty awesome. But back to the speech and some of the amazing lessons and takeaways I learned and things that I... Just little bits of what I think the solutions to some of our country's problems are. Or just some of the things that I think are good food for thought at the very least. I attended a talk with people working on criminal justice reform, making even more clear the racial and financial inequities that make our system lenient for those with means and strict as hell for those without. I spent a day in state prison getting to know people who have been incarcerated for most of their lives, learning up close how messed up our prisons are, how we are not preparing these people to succeed and be productive members of our society in their life after lockup. And do we not want them to be productive members when they get out? Or do we want them to commit crime again and become arrested again and get arrested again? That choice is ours. I learned up close how cash bail is a very oppressive, often racist process that keeps people without means in jail for sometimes months before, if not years, before their trial, whereas the rich get to go home and wait it out. I got arrested myself in Washington, D.C., 
a misdemeanor charge for a planned act of civil disobedience on the Capitol steps, protesting corruption in our government. I joined Ronaldo Pearson for the last mile of his 700-mile walk from Atlanta to D.C., demanding we stop these absurd and often racist voter purges, millions being purged from the rolls, and finally protect our right to vote, make our elections secure with funding and paper ballots and competitive with things like ranked choice voting that just passed in New York City, an amazing thing, you got to look it up, which makes it that you don't ever waste your vote because you get to rank your top choices. So you can support a smaller candidate like I was or an independent third-party candidate. And if your candidate doesn't win, they just doesn't get a majority of the vote. They just remove him from the next count and they move on to your second choice. So you can then vote for the mainstream candidate that was your second choice. You never waste your vote. And we can actually get that way more smaller candidates into office. It's an amazing thing. Ranked choice voting. Please support it and fight for it in your city and in your state. Um, so we were protesting all of that. Um, there already is working great in Maine. And we protested to make sure we end political corruption, which is the hallmark issue of my campaign. With one law, we can ban lobbyists from ever donating to campaigns. And then, with a few other essential changes, like banning the revolving door, overturning Citizens United, and making it so Congress can only vote on one issue at a time, another signature issue of mine, we would get rid of our our corrupt politicians and huge corporations' absurd influence on our government. I shortened that a little bit, but I wanted to make sure I kept that section intact very much because... To me, one of the most important things we can possibly do in this country and most urgent is getting the corruption out. We do that, we can finally tackle everything else because we won't have these special interests skewing our priorities. I moved on to share more of what we did in the course of this incredible journey. I got to serve the homeless in Tampa, Des Moines, and L.A. and got to speak with them each time and learn their stories. But I also got to attend an all-day event put on by the L.A. Homeless Services Authority and went to Smoke Out Hunger in Iowa, where I learned facts like one in six Iowa children are food insecure. How insane is that? But that there are out-of-the-box solutions nationwide, like United Way and PATH, who are subsidizing rent and helping people transition from homelessness. There's my friend's company, Cardboard Agami, that builds these cardboard tent-like structures that fold down flat and you put straps on them and you carry them on your back like a backpack. And they're great temporary solutions to homelessness. They're inexpensive. They withstand rain. They're pretty darn cool. And a lot of people can fit in them. You can even put a family inside them. LA Family Housing help people helps people find temporary, then permanent housing. St. Margaret Center providing food programs and counseling services. Even mammograms for those without homes. Or the inner city law center giving free legal services to people on Skid Row. Homeless incentive programs giving money incentives to landlords to rent to people coming from homelessness and then subsidize their rent going forward, making these people even more guaranteed rent money than many normal renters because, again, they are subsidized by this program. I visited Same Cafe in Colorado, a very cool pay-what-you-can restaurant built on the premise that all people should have equal access to healthy food and they should all be treated the same when receiving it. So whether you can pay or you can trade volunteer time or your own produce even you can trade for meals, everyone waits in the same line 
and is treated with a smile. They also honestly had the best balsamic dressing I ever had in my life. I mean, it was mm, so delicious. I still remember. I can taste it in my mouth, in my mind's mouth. Our campaign has been based on the obvious need for all people to be treated equally. It's why there is an equal sign in the middle of our logo. It was so nice to see this being put into practice in such a beautiful way. The biggest path to solving many of these issues are addressing the root causes, which is more often than not an economy that even while unemployment is low, jobs aren't paying enough for people to live well. We also value the wrong things. This theme comes up again. I got to attend the Bretton Woods Economic Conference on the 75th anniversary of the original that established the World Bank and International Monetary Fund. And out of that came a wonderful project I've been working on with renowned author of The Real Wealth of Nations, Rianne Eisler, and a whole team we've assembled to develop for our country a social wealth index as an alternative metric to just GDP, gross domestic product, a social wealth index. So we finally start valuing the caring and caregiver and natural economies, not just only counting raw financial output. Because as a nation, our focus has been far too tilted towards profit at all costs. I visited a family farm in Earlham, Iowa, where they are struggling to compete with the big factory farms as a result of subsidies going to the big agribusiness companies, again due to lobbyist money tilting our priorities. I also ate one of their peppers straight out of the ground, and it was magnificent and juicy. I didn't even know peppers could be juicy. I spoke with men at their sober home in New Hampshire who almost died from opioids, some of them many times. It's a disease, and I saw that up close. And I learned that we must fund sober homes which currently get no funding because they, not rehab, is what really determines whether someone can control their addiction long-term or not. To meeting with the women at the New Hampshire Coalition Against Domestic and Sexual Violence, where I learned there need to be more resources for the needs of survivors of human trafficking, and we must support federal funding for domestic and sexual violence victim services under VAWA, VOCA, and FIPSA. And we need specialized practitioners at hospitals for evidence collection. So the process of collecting evidence is not re-traumatizing for these women. They were talking about how elaborate the rape kits are. And I asked if I could see one up close. And they told me that a candidate is never asked to see one. That nobody actually cared about the details that much. Not that I'm so great, but that these other candidates just were there. They told me to talk more than listen. And I was there to listen. I was on this whole campaign journey just to listen, to make sure I understood the problems of people. So then when I finally talked, I could be sharing the things that truly matter to people and that could actually make a substantive difference in their lives instead of having preset talking points always. You, of course, have to repeat. This is just a message I'm saying to everybody listening, not part of the speech. You have to repeat your stump speech to a degree and repeat your certain core messages. But mine always added the new elements of that most recent week because it was always evolving. We always have to evolve, all of us, as people. Otherwise, we become stagnant and we die, metaphorically. Sometimes really, but not really, not in this instance. Just metaphorical death, that's all. All right, back to it. So we need practitioners so the process is not re-traumatizing for these women, people that know how to handle them and treat them properly and with respect and care. 
and kindness. Traumatic home experiences, I learned, are a systemic cause of, a root cause of many of the problems in our society, such as mental health and suicide. But prevention is key, and we can fund these programs that can help prevent this in the homes around this country, and we can have happier, healthier homes, and we can not only help these women, but we can reduce our mental health problems and our suicide epidemic. We visited the Women's Bean Project in Denver, an amazing organization that tackles chronic women's poverty, often those coming from abusive situations or prison, and giving them full job skills training while employing them at the same time at a living wage. Plus, they made a very tasty soup. I'm going to be real. We got 5,000 signatures on a petition for a constitutional amendment for a woman's right to choose. And I learned that even with many people who are pro-life, who I had many conversations with during the course of the campaign, if we agree that we can reduce the number of abortions with better sex education and access to birth control, and if we share with them the fact that in places where it is restricted, women still find unsafe ways to have abortions, that there is then room for them to see their way to respecting a woman's control over her own body, even if it is against their religious teachings. And I encourage them always to just, if it's so against your religion's teachings, then focus on making sure your religion's congregation, your your church, your temple, your mosque does not encourage abortions among their congregants. But religion has no place in our government, and it certainly has no place in our bodies. I got to visit with our brave troops at Camp Pendleton and got to hang at the Veterans Freedom Center in Cedar Rapids, Iowa, created by a veteran who still has PTSD now all the way back from Vietnam and wanted a relaxing place to hang with his buddies. They have a cool wood shop in there and he gifted me this incredible pen that I'll never forget. It's one of my prized possessions automatically made of deer antlers. And he said no other candidates ever visited there. And he invites me to come back even if my campaign ended, which now it has, by the way, as a reminder. But this place, this awesome, warm, welcoming place with games and a wood shop and fun things to do and a cool break room vibe with food and cookies and coffee. They receive no federal funding at all. And just in speaking with vets around the country, I learned how very real and difficult PTSD and something called hypervigilance can be that makes you overreact whenever you're constantly afraid someone's going to burst through your door with a gun, even when you're at home playing video games, and you know it, intellectually it's not true. But you're still constantly on edge like that's about to happen because you've seen the worst elements of war, the worst parts of humanity. And so I learned how we have to more fully deliver on our promise of taking care of our troops once they come home. We must give troops more time off after injuries, restrict multiple deployments, fully fund the VA hospitals immediately, and legalize marijuana. Because it works great for PTSD, helps keep people off of opioids, which is one of the biggest epidemics in our country, and would just lead to a chiller, happier society. We all know that. I spoke with a Vietnam veteran who we served a meal to at a free community meal provider in Tampa, for those who can't afford meals, who told me that even while serving our country, while stationed at a base in Alabama, they told him to enter from the back because he's black. Yet he still loves this country. That's pretty incredible. The hope and optimism of marginalized groups was amazing to see. The joy displayed 
at the LGBTQ Pride event in West Hollywood, and the honor I had to walk in the Pride Parade in Springfield, Missouri, and to see how welcoming the town was. Made me so happy, meeting with Ashton Mota, a transgender 16-year-old working with the Human Rights Campaign was humbling and inspiring. But hearing the details of his story humanized the struggle for me so much. But not as much as getting to know very closely Charlie Smith, our campaign's senior field coordinator, and becoming their friend. You don't truly understand someone's situation until you become friends with them. Thank you, Charlie, for being cool and for being patient with my dumb questions Am I slowly getting used to using the right pronouns? I met with elderly voters in Ames, Iowa, and held a town hall at a South Sudanese American Presbyterian church in San Diego. Each community with their own urgent needs. To that end, I wanted to make sure we went to Puerto Rico during my campaign. So we went during the two-year anniversary of Hurricane Maria. And I definitely did not throw paper towels at our fellow citizens. And even though it is surrounded by big water, very difficult to get there, okay? We were heading there during a storm. They feared a major storm, didn't end up being, but we got there no problem and had an incredible week. And although they doubled down on the corn-based starchy foods a bit much for my taste, we learned so much about disaster relief scenarios. We helped bring an electricity-free water filtration system in the town of El Real up to code so it can provide clean water to the remote village should a major hurricane hit again. We help paint it a color that needs to be for regulations. A teal kind of color. Not most attractive, but, you know, you make do. We learn that FEMA puts very stringent requirements and fines on them to get things like this filtration system approved for use, even like painting a certain color, yet doesn't help them get it there. It provides them no assistance in building and recovering like they should be. That is their job. I had lunch there with an older woman named Maria who, despite a tough couple of years, and FEMA still not having fixed her roof, she loves the sense of community in her town and would never want to leave. And so I'm doing a fundraiser with my friends from that trip, amazing friends we made on that trip, to help build the community center even better for them, get them a projector and plastic, uh, sorry, uh, rubber floors and um, so they can have a community movie theater vibe there, a projector screen and a projector, a bunch of DVDs and some other essentials and make sure the place is protected from further storms. It should storms hit there again. And I'll post the link in the next couple of days on my Twitter and you can donate there as well if you'd like to give a few dollars. Um, a beautiful theme that I kept finding throughout this campaign was that despite people's extreme hardships, their love for our country and for their community, does not diminish. But to be a society we can be proud of, we have to protect our most vulnerable. I met a school teacher who lost a very young student to gun violence. And with parents who fear each morning when they send their children to school. That is not acceptable. It's not acceptable that bulletproof backpacks are the item that's all the rage for back-to-school shopping these days. Or that they're building high schools with rounded hallways. So people can hide from active shooters. That same teacher told me that one of her students, I'm sorry, one of her fellow teachers had a very dramatic experience where she went to a judge and asked for him to remove the weapons and to put a restraining order 
on her ex-husband because he had threatened violence on her and their three kids. The judge said no, and her ex-husband killed all three of their kids in front of her. So she'd have to live with that. Red flag laws, I was convinced of with just that story. When someone's threatening violence, they're not acting their rational self, take those guns away. I promise the podcast getting back to being funny in a minute, but there are certain things you have to talk about that are serious sometimes. And I'm trying to give you a summary of a very serious time in my life. But I also met with gun owners who agree that this is unacceptable. And as long as they get to keep their guns, are open to common sense compromise that the vast majority of us agree with. This gave me a lot of hope. Again here, the root cause of our problems is the stranglehold, by the way, of special interests in our government. The reason we don't do what the vast majority of us want done is the corruption of money in our politics. If we remove that alone, we can finally start tackling the climate crisis, healthcare crisis with millions uninsured, and those with insurance struggling to pay for the care they need, and the stagnant wages and income and wealth gap crisis that make it so hard to thrive in the richest nation on earth. Let's focus on the root cause. Then the solutions to all of this will flow so much easier. Let's take our democracy back. Got my slogan in there because I feel like it's such an important message. And the speech continues. Close the camps protests I attended on both coasts shine desperately needed light on a very dark situation. But I was even more heartened to talk with a couple who live near the border who have found the undocumented community to be nothing but a help and a benefit to their community. And to discover that even people in Iowa, nowhere near our border, still care so much about the kids being separated from their parents that it is their number one issue. And they want humanity and kindness brought back to our policies. I was proud to stand on the picket line with Chicago teachers who were striking not for themselves, but for better education for their students. We stood out together in the freezing cold as they demanded librarians, social workers, and nurses at every school and smaller class sizes. They stood out in that cold a lot longer than I did. I was just there one day. But guess what? They won. And after I spoke at the AFL-CIO convention, all the top-tier candidates that spoke, all of them, Warren, Sanders, Biden, Beto, they skipped out on the reception with the union workers afterwards. But my staff and I stayed, and I talked with them for hours. Postal workers told me how the government is taking funding from them to pay for other mismanaged areas, making their jobs much harder as their budgets get reduced. And the United Steelworkers and Ask Me members told me how big business and the government are weakening their unions so much that it's making hard for them to even live, that the working people are being made to pay the price. While these companies do not share any of the profits they themselves as workers create. Shortly after the convention, the United Auto Workers went on strike. They demanded better too. And guess what? They too won. Organizing and fighting together really works. I was the only union candidate in this race, being a member of SAG-AFTRA, part of AFL-CIO. And I said that I would fight for them because I am one of them, and you know I will, unlike all the other candidates. And it was insane to see how the press still wouldn't cover us. Even that speech, there were 70 cameras 
from the news media of around the country, of all around the country, there. And by the time I went up last to speak, most of them turned their cameras off and started packing up. During my speech and before, only maybe 20 left. And of the 20 that still shot my speech, not one did a story on my speech. Not one mentioned me in any significant context in the coverage of the speech in general. The next morning, the Des Moines Register, who did put up a video of my campaign, and I'll give them credit, did a story online about my campaign due to a chance meeting I had with a a very well-respected reporter there, Rekha Basu. But this was the biggest speech of our campaign, the moment we finally could have changed our trajectory. This is, again, just a message I'm saying to the podcast listeners and not to all of you in the Brain Trust and not to – this is not in the speech. I'm just telling you an aside story. The Des Moines Register's headlines uh, front page story the next day was all about the AFL-CIO convention. And it mentioned me just in a paragraph at the end. Also spoke at the event was Beto O'Rourke, Ben Glebe, and Joe Sestak. But there was a whole section in the article. Candidates tout their ties to union labor. Amy Klobuchar's grandfather was in the union. But I'm in the union currently, and they didn't cover that. That's an example of how skewed the media is. Trump's not right that it's fake news as in they make stuff up. They don't often make things up, but they definitely decide what gets covered and therefore what becomes stories and therefore what gets heard by the American people. So they skew reality and facts that way very drastically, and it's not cool at all. By the time we got into that reception after the speech when I hung with the union workers, I'll be honest, the food was mostly gone. All we had was left some carrots and broccoli, and the ranch was just okay. There are so many issues in the country we have to address, but we can't do any of it if we don't have a planet to breathe on. I met a park service ranger whose turf went all the way to the ocean, and he told me plainly, you can clearly see we are losing land each year as the tides are coming in and stealing more and more of the beach. Which reminds me of a woman I met in New Hampshire, Dorothy Picado, a 77-year-old. She was a middle school history teacher. Her passion now is saving the environment. At 77, she wants more than anything to see the climate to see climate change tackled in her lifetime, or as she put it, at least really making progress towards it so that she goes out with hope for our planet. She ran 3 times for state senator and lost each time, but still has all the passion for our country and our world. So I think we should start moving a little faster for Dorothy. What do you say? Let's pass a Green New Deal, which can save the planet while being an incredible job creator, thus boosting our economy and helping us solve so many other issues in the process. We can do all of this. The experience of running for president gave me an unparalleled look at this country. And despite all our problems, our country is strong. Canvassing with local politicians meeting with state representatives, discussing and debating with other candidates, speaking to hundreds at a time or having lunch with voters one-on-one, meeting people at state fairs, holding rallies and speaking in barns and backyards to small gatherings of Americans. I was struck over and over again by how much people truly care. And I now know that despite all the unfortunate darkness that has been stirred up and reignited by this existential danger of a president and total joke of a human being. There are plenty of people who are actual patriots to the country, not to a party, and who are ready to fight, and so many of whom are fighting already.
and winning. I left that paragraph pretty much intact in my final speech. The things I saw firsthand, speaking with the people of this amazing country and diving deep into the many issues we face and need to tackle more effectively as we keep pushing towards that more perfect union was eye-opening in so many ways. But more so, it was inspiring. It gave me so much optimism for our future. We started this campaign because I saw the candidates running and was unconvinced they had the skills necessary to beat someone like Trump who doesn't play by any rules and whose best skill is talking trash. And I said many times that he's not a politician, he's a heckler, and that to beat a heckler, you need a comedian. And we saw comedians winning elections from Italy, Pepe Grillo, to Zelensky, the new president of Ukraine. And that's the main reason I decided to run, because I couldn't live with myself if I didn't offer the country another option in the most crucial election of our time, one that will determine what way our nation and planet goes. And if the future will be bright or increasingly challenging. Well, my campaign didn't win the nomination and get to go head to head against Trump. But it turns out my premise was right. A comedian did beat the president. It just wasn't me. Thanks to his dealings with the comedian president of Ukraine, Trump was just impeached and is now awaiting trial in the Senate. And whatever the result, we are finally holding this self-absorbed, lawless, disloyal, super-orange president to account. And that, too, makes us feel like the right time to bow out. A large part of our goal was accomplished. This president has been weakened. Although there is still quite a fight ahead, and I will remain dedicated to making sure he does not win re-election. But maybe after like a week-long bender, a little decompression seems in order. And me loves me some spiked eggnog. I cut the eggnog line from the speech, but I did put in that I want to smoke also maybe a couple joints. So, you know, that was a pretty bold move, considering it's a concession speech for President of the United States. But I'm tired of the hypocrisies. I'm tired of us not being who we are supposed to be, who we actually are in our lives, for being who we privately actually exist as, and then espousing different morals in public. That's why I'm proud that I became also the first presidential candidate in history to publicly smoke marijuana. I did it on getting Doug with high with Doug Benson so that we finally stop the hypocrisy. We reduce opioid deaths. We help our troops suffering of PTSD and we create a chiller society. I was happy to do that. We also created a few other firsts, the first presidential campaign in history to hold a town hall in virtual reality. We did with Sansar technology. That was pretty awesome. I think it's probably the future of how many presidential town halls will be. And we're the first campaign ever to espouse a liquid democracy platform here in America on the federal level, where I think I talked about it in a past episode, and you can still read about it at Glebe2020.com, where I hope you donate instead of to me now and to our campaign to the Democratic Unity Fund to make sure that whatever Democrat gets the nomination wins and we do go ahead forward to beat Trump. Because that's the most important thing before we can get the corruption out. we got to get the corrupt leader out. Um, but basically, liquid democracy, which we called connected democracy, is where you get to vote throughout the term of your leaders on how you want them to vote on certain key issues instead of them only checking in with you during the campaigns. It's a very interesting idea, and I believe in it.
um, back to the speech. When we were in Texas, we visited the Alamo. And what stayed with me was the lesson our brave soldiers taught us there. That we can show courage even in the face of unlikely odds. And even if we fail, we know we went out being our best selves. In life, we must compromise where we can, but always stand by our values. I cut most of that paragraph because the Alamo seemed like an off-topic tangent and a little too lofty. And I read it for Ken Gar, and he said, cut that shit. So I did. And then I said, as to what I'm doing next, well, considering this didn't reach levels we'd hoped, I'm very excited to go back to my life as a comedian. Even though I hope I was funnier than like Amy Klobuchar, whose press conference I crashed during the campaign, by the way, you can see it on my Instagram and YouTube. People put so much hope and faith in you when you run for president that I found myself often much more serious than I ever have been. So I'm looking forward to letting loose again, hitting the road with the new stand-up tour, and focusing much more on making you laugh. And I will definitely not be shaving for a while. think I might grow a beard like Al Gore and Hillary Clinton did after they lost. I kept that joke in. I'll also be recommitting myself and brain trust. This is the good news for people who enjoy this podcast. Recommitting myself to my podcast last week on Earth so we can still have our weekly conversation about all the craziness going on in the world and in our politics and laugh at it all. And I have many more things in store. We can clearly see the evolution will not be televised. So we have to cultivate it ourselves. If you want to be part of the evolution, then stay tuned. I cut that part because that's just for us. But despite strong attempts to bring back old divisive thinking of the past, there is something fundamental this president and his supporters fail to understand, that all human beings are equal, and that we all matter exactly the same amount. So the struggle of one is the struggle of all. Jackie Robinson, the man who broke baseball's racial barrier, said it best, there's not an American in this country free until every one of us is free. Along this journey, not only did I speak with countless like-minded people, I also had many talks and sometimes confrontations with Trump supporters. But I am very proud to say that the talks almost always are reasonable. There were a couple fuck yous in there, but almost always reasonable. And many times ended with the Trump supporter donating to my campaign, actually. I'm not sure how many other campaigns can say that. One of them said to me, while donating, you know, maybe we're not that far apart. I believe that's true. We also got to do during the campaign our We the People show at the Improv where we bring people together from both sides to try to find solutions. Because if we don't talk to each other, there can be no peace. We have lots dividing us, but most of it is just heated language coming straight from the top. But when you peel away all that anger and tension, we all want the same things. The ability to succeed in our lives, to be able to provide for our families, to be able to relax after a long day's work and to live in a country we can be proud of. My campaign ends today, but I hope whoever wins is able to focus on that. Our common goals, the desires we all share. Someone who knows that the real American dream is one you can actually achieve, and someone who is able to bring us together to be a nation we can all be proud once more to call home. And here's the end stretch, the end paragraph of the speech. 
It's pretty incredible that despite all the forces trying and often succeeding to tilt the system, that you can still run for office, even the highest office in the land, and with focus and tenacity and the support of people around the country and integrity as your guide can build a movement, however big or small, and speak truth to power, hold our leaders to account, and fight for what is right. I think that's a victory for us all. I was going to end that paragraph there, and my girlfriend Carmel thought it was way too serious to end on, and so I threw in the line after that. I think that's a victory for us all, even though I totally lost. Which I did, by the way, so that's fair. And I ended with, it's been the honor of a lifetime. And I can't emphasize that enough to all of you listening to. It has been the honor of a lifetime to be able to run as a candidate for president of the United States. Thank you. And to quote the sage spiritual advisor, Jerry Springer, take care of yourself and each other. So that right there was a look at uh, what a first draft of a speech like that looks like. There was so much I wanted to say and so much I wanted to do, and thank God I have this podcast where I can actually get more in-depth and share some of the details and some of the people and stories I met and learned along the way. Um, but as you can see, that would have been way too long for a video concession speech. Even as it is, 13 minutes was too long for that. But I'm happy with the way I did it because I, I had some things to say, you know? And I still do. But... Another episode, I'll tell you some funnier stories, some of the embarrassing moments from the campaign as well. But for now, we got to bring this puppy home. So it is time to check in with the Glebe of Extraordinary Gentlemen, the Glebe Squad in all of us, the B-Glebers that are fast taking on the B-Liebers and overtaking the Justin Bieber global domination state train, train, sta- train station that doesn't leave. He's always coming. He's coming back, Justin Bieber. I've lost all track of what I'm talking about. The Glebe Mob, the Glob, the Glebe Nation. It's time for Twitter Answers. I asked the Brain Trust two questions this time. First, what New Year's resolution is most important to you? Danielle Brown at D. Brown Hess said, My plan is to read a book every month because I want to spend less time filling my mind with social media junk. As she tweeted that on Twitter, on social media, just saying. Ryan G. Reynolds at The Genuine Ryan said, I don't have resolutions. I have amendments because amendments can change. I don't know if that's deep or dumb. I don't know if the whole point is that you don't change them, so you stick to them. But if you're making a constitutional reference, you can change amendments. It's like a political uh, statement. I like it. I'm, I'm, I'm confused and concerned. Please clarify for me on Twitter, at the Genuine Ryan. And Analog Bear said to stop cursing at fucking morons on the Twitter. But you failed right there. And then I also asked, what New Year's resolution do you know you won't succeed at? And... um. We got an answer from somebody who I erased their answer. I'm so bummed. I erased their name, I mean. Oh, no, there it is. Uh, Alex underscore E underscore Lawless says, stop eating Taco Bell. Look, I hear you, dude. I hear you. 
It does not help that my girlfriend's favorite restaurant is Taco Bell. Because now I eat Taco Bell. I've, I've avoided it for many years. But now when, when two people both want to eat unhealthy food, it's not a great sign. It's not a great moment in time. It's dangerous. Um, and then our last Twitter answer, Uncle Patrick at Patrick H 63 said, what resolution do you, does he know he won't succeed at? To not participate in any Ben Glebe prompted online Twitter contest just to get my tweet read out loud on a podcast. Damn. I'm so sorry you broke that one, bud. I'm sorry to be your enabler, but also congratulations. I'll be at the Laugh Factory in Hollywood January 4th, midnight show. In Bloomington, Minnesota at the House of Comedy in the Mall of America January 16th through 19th. And Phoenix, Arizona January 23th through 26th. Then Edmonton, Alberta, Canada at the Comic Strip February 27th through March 1st for stand-up dates of my Stand Up for America comedy tour. The last one's in Canada, which is, I'm really going to stand up for America there because I'm against the whole country at that point. And on that note, it is time for the Thunder Round. In the Thunder Round, we do quick weird stories at the end of the podcast to leave you off balance and questioning everything. And we call it the Thunder Round because you can't hear lightning. China had a 10-day traffic jam. This, by the way, is a decade summary Thunder Round. Some of the best, most weird, strange things from the decade that I chose. China had a 10-day-long traffic jam, y'all, in 2010, starting off the decade. Construction plus several vehicle collisions resulted in, no joke, people being stuck in Beijing on the highway for 10 straight days. Locals came out to sell food and water, and drivers, quote, were forced to sleep in or under their cars. I'd like to know who the hell slept under their car. Why are you sleeping under the... You went just fully crazy? It made you go full nuts to sleep under the car? You got a car. You could sleep inside of it. Were they unaware they had a car? I'm confused. A British town was freaked out by a clown, 2013. A clown stalked a British town and terrorized the locals just by standing there, looking super creepy, as clowns do. Never said anything threatening or did anything wrong. He was always there holding balloons and intense, creepy clown makeup. Sightings of the, of the clown started to pick up traction on social media. He even got his own hashtag, hashtag Northampton Clown. Can we disagree with this in 2020, in the 2020s, the upcoming decade? No more clowns. Can we ban clowns? Not, most bans aren't cool, but I'm down with a clown ban. Don't be a clown no more. Be a princess at a birthday party. Be a acrobat. Don't be a clown. It's creepy. No one likes you. No one wants you around. A woman tried to pass off dog urine as her own during a drug test. She remember with her probation officer had to do a urine test. I think he found out that it was dog urine, not her own, because to collect it, she had to go outside and visit 90 trees. A dude with two dicks. A man with two penises did a Reddit AMA. Very popular AMA. Come on, man. You got two dicks, keep it to yourself. Don't brag. An AMA? Now you're just rubbing it in. And hopefully not too often. You know what I'm saying? He calls himself Double Dick Dude. But he's such a dick. I'm calling him Triple Dick Dude. How does that feel? Triple Dick? A Ukrainian woman doesn't need sustenance. There was a Ukrainian woman this decade who's had many plastic surgeries to look like Barbie and now claims to practice something called breatharianism. 
breatharianism, which is where you don't eat or drink. You just draw cosmic microfood through air and light. I've tried this. It only works for me between meals. Who are the, I mean, and also the fuck? And lastly, Britney Spears coffee machines? A lot of people this decade said their coffee machines sound like the beginning of Britney Spears' song Stronger. My coffee machine doesn't, but all of its financial decisions do have to go through its parents. Am I ending this first episode of 2020 on a bad Britney Spears conservatorship joke? You best believe I am. Until last week next week. This has been Last Week on Earth. <laughs>